0: Very Vader, it's okay.
1: How can I handle work on a day like today?
2: Hey, what's up, everybody? Welcome to Screen Geeks Radio, episode 170. This is Dave. This is Barry.
1: This is Jean Luc Pickard. <laughs> That's like the
2: oh, yeah, yeah, Gene Luck Pickard. Um, so yeah, we're talking Star Trek today. We're gonna have fun. The Star, the Star Trek, Trek films, films. the, films, the yeah. films is gonna be fun. Yeah, the TV shows, that'd just be way too much. That's a little much, yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, let's go ahead and talk, start, kick things off with what we've been talking, watching this week. Um, I'll go first for a change, just for the heck of it. Speaking of Star Trek, we've been keep, continuing our uh, journey through Deep Space Nine. And it's getting better finally. So it, it, it's funny. Like seriously, as soon as as Avery Brooks, uh, uh, Commander Cisco gets the beard, he starts becoming less of a tool.
0: How many episodes in before it starts to get good? Like nearly to the third season. Oh, you serious? Because I never, I never watched it, so I, I'm not... No no reference point It's to not that.
2: awful, but there are parts where it gets preachy as preachy can be. Mm. Like, worse than Next Generation ever got, even. Oh, boy. So it's starting to really start pick up, picking up steam, and apparently Season 4 is where just stuff gets crazy good. But until Season 3, it's really not worth our time. If you think about it, that was kind of Star Trek the Next Generation, too, though. Sure. So it takes a while to, get, to grow into these things. Yeah. And this was back when... when oh. s- studios and stations were actually taking the time to give it a shot so that's it's a fun show you know I think it's worth going through especially since it's Netflix on on demand you know during the in the watch instantly it's not like you have to take up a disc spot to do to watch it or anything it's getting better and then I watched Moneyball finally you know like right after we do our best of the year episode which I think it probably most definitely would have been on my list that movie was really good I really enjoyed that. Yeah, I'm me too. thinking Walmart has a special edition. It's like a three disc edition for 20 bucks. I might end up picking up. Wow, what's on that? Do you know? It has extra interviews with the cast and with Billy Bean, and there's some Bob Costas show that they did all about the movie and all Ooh, Brad the, yeah. Pitt
1: on Brad Pitt on Charlie Rose. Uh-huh.
2: is it on there? I hope so. One can hope. Yes, absolutely. So yeah, it's pretty good, and really that's been most of it. I mean, we're going back through and rewatching Supernatural and stuff, but. In bird notice and all that but I've talked about those shows before so Ethan, what you' been watching
1: I sat down and watched Bucky Larson born to be a
2: star <laughs> <laughs> you're trying to get the jump on taking bullets for the team this year aren't you
1: yeah I'm, I'm to be honest I'm kind of glad I saw this film it's it's quite something I almost <laughs> don't want to talk about it because I don't want to spoil how good it is
2: like okay like like Freddie got fingered good or good good no no.
1: I'll, I'll spoil one thing in fact the ending of the movie the very ending of the movie is Kevin Nealon yelling John Mayer then a close up of Bucky Larson's buck teeth and a zoom into them
2: okay
0: I've heard Don Johnson is quite good in this movie
1: watching it made me realize what a good actor he actually is because I've been watching Miami Vice recently and I think he's kind of I always thought he was kind of bad but no I realize he is actually a good actor
2: alright then because of Bucky Larson. Yeah. That works. That works. Who would have thought? Not not Machete, but Bucky Larson.
0: <laughs> no, he did. he's done some stuff back in the day where I thought he was pretty good. But I, I would agree with Ethan. I never thought he was the strongest point on Miami Vice. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. Cool. What else, sir? Mm.
1: I'll just talk about some uh, movies I revisited Um I gave Ichi the killer another shot after enjoying a lot of Miyake films, and I'm, I'm glad I did, because I, I was a lot more into it this time, I think, because I knew what to expect.
2: Now, did you I watch the p- uh, R-rated cut or the unrated cut?
1: Unrated cut. The pacing wasn't as much of a problem for me. Okay. And, um, I, yeah, that's the thing I like about it, that Miyake, I, obviously the movie's a grotesque like comic book, but I think he takes his themes very seriously, which I like about him, and uh, this score is done by uh, the Japanese punk band Boredoms, who I'm, which I'm a big fan of, and the, yeah, the music's awesome in it. So, good film. Um, I revisited in class, and this is maybe one of the best revisits I've ever had of a movie. Um, Andrei Tarkovsky's *The Mirror*. Yeah. Um, it's interesting actually watching this film after *The Tree of Life*. Because they're they're very similar films in a lot of ways. I was just thinking because they're both about memory in a way. And this beer is Beard's probably one of the most kind of abstract films possible about that concept. Because um, I remember the first time I watched it, the thing is I was I remember almost treat, think of it in, as like kind of a puzzle in a way because it's it's kind of easy to get lost because there's multiple timelines there's use of like documentary footage and stuff and but the movie you just it's sort of it's best exper- as an experiential thing because the movie itself is kind of stream of consciousness and i i was really kind of like every emotion clicked with me this time and i i think it's one of the best films that were made
0: Fantastic. So. I would have to agree with you. I mean, Tarkovsky's stuff, I, I totally agree with you, Ethan. I mean, I think I think it's almost mandatory and essential that his movies require second viewings because they are so meditative. And But, I mean, if you can get into the, just to use the expression, just to get into the flow of them, I mean, they are so hypnotic. Yeah, The Mirror, I don't know if I would go with one of the greatest films, but, uh, I mean, that's certainly one of his masterpieces. I love his stuff.
1: Yeah, and um, I got to revisit one of my favorite films of all time on a 35 millimeter print on the big screen. That being Gummo.
0: <laughs> well, I'm glad you got to see it in the big screen. That is cool.
1: And I went with a group of friends, and every one of my friends liked it, so that was uh, nice too. We really? laughed at all the funny parts, cried at all the sad parts. It was a great theater experience.
0: Was uh, was Kareen there, or was it just just a re- revitalized screening?
1: Yeah, they're doing a series at the Montreal Cinematheque, uh, like called doom generation where they're uh focusing on like youth films from the 90s they're showing uh-huh. like kids and uh i think some other Araki movies and stuff like that so wow. so yeah that was a great watch that that spaghetti scene gets me every time <laughs> oh
0: my
2: god <laughs> <Ugh>. <laughs> all right anything else sir no that's it all right cool barry what you've been watching
0: uh... finally got to see Julie Taymor's *The Tempest*. Uh, this was the film that she made based on the Shakespeare play, and it's it's one of those plays you kind of understand why, having seen the film, why they really haven't made this into a film before. Uh, and, and I like *The Tempest* a lot, but it very cerebral, very strange, very spare. And she made this film, filmed it on Hawaii with this all star cast, and it's such a misfire. It's visually beautiful casting Helen Mirren the lead role was very very interesting but I think the problem with this movie is the problem I have with some of her other films as well I think not necessarily in Titus and across the universe but I felt that at times in that movie her visual style kinda drowned out uh, the material, her visual style, kind of drowned out the the lyrics, kind of drowned out the intent of some scenes. And for the Tempest, I felt like her visual style completely made the story very murky and very hard to follow. And I've seen the Tempest on stage. I like the Tempest, but I really couldn't follow her version of it at all. Um, when Russell Brand and Alfred Molina and Jaimon Hansu talk about three mismatched people, when they <laughs> When the three are sharing the screen together, it's this long 15-minute sequence that's quite funny, the way it's supposed to be staged, but the way they play it, I'm not sure they really understood what the scene was about, and it's just one of the many scenes in the film where the movie just stops. Visually extraordinary, no question, and I, I certainly, in terms of her being a film director as well as a stage director, I wouldn't hesitate to call her a visionary. She truly is. But I just don't think this movie works. I really don't. Um, I really wanted to like it and I certainly for about 15 20 minutes going in I really enjoyed it but I yeah I can't say I was all that impressed by it. On the other hand, a film from Israel called Late Marriage came out about 10 years ago. This is an amazing film. I highly recommend everybody see this. This is about a man who is engaged to this woman and he actually wants to marry somebody else and the other woman he wants to marry is a divorcee with a child. And his society won't allow it. His parents will not allow it. So it's kind of this social commentary. It's a black comedy. It's a very erotic drama. And it becomes a really, really shocking, really violent, confrontational movie. I've never seen anything quite like this, certainly not from Israel. This is one of these movies where I wonder if the actors kind of went into hiding after they made this film because it's so such an (laughs) I mean it's such an edgy film and it's such a movie that's very much against tradition, about family tradition, whether it be Israeli or not. Uh but I highly recommend this movie. Late Marriage was such a stunning film. got to caught up in a film that you warned me against dave and uh but i am glad i saw which is uh, the mechanic with jason statham (laughs) i agree with you it's it's a bad film i completely agree and to, to talk about the scene of the film that i know uh you mentioned the uh the hand and the blender scene yeah yeah um i don't know what's worse that jason statham wants to put this girl this little girl's arm in a blender or that he doesn't, and puts meat in there instead, and the movie kind of cops out. Mm. I thought the whole film was like that. Like, in addition to being as, as certainly as Nas and mean spirit, as you indicated um when it comes to the sex scenes like it was so strange they almost felt like they were in there to like complete a checklist they they were so <laughs> rushed and so quick mm-hmm. and ben foster who's wonderful completely wasted i thought other than the sequence where they are leaving the building the high rise building which i thought was a very fast and very exciting set yes. piece this is a prototypical jason statham movie it's it's not good he doesn't I think it's really, a
2: sub prototypical even yes
0: he doesn't get to do anything this is like another death race he doesn't get to do anything but sneer at the camera i certainly thought the character was interesting um, um, you know, his whole hideout of living in a, like, you know, living in that little boathouse or whatever, I thought was pretty cool, but now this was, you Did know. you like how it ended? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, I did not. <laughs> what a cheap setup for a sequel. Yeah. Completely awful. Boom. that's all I gotta say. Just yeah, boom. yeah, it's stupid, stupid. Uh, last two, um, I did finally get to catch up with, uh, Steven Soderbergh's Haywire. Thank you both of you guys for recommending it. I appreciate that. Great film. Really, really solid. Um, I, I have nothing to offer that you guys already, didn't already say other than, uh, uh, yeah, what an ex- what an exciting film. And I think the reason audiences have turned against is because maybe they can't always follow the plot until everything ends and everything wraps up. But I thought it was actually wrapped up kind of neatly. I, I thought was, it was too. I was w- expecting to walk in completely confused because I know that's what audiences have been saying. Like, oh, I don't
2: understand the plot at all. No, I think it's actually pretty straightforward once you're able to piece the pieces together. I could see people being uncomfortable with the uh, violence towards women <laughs> in the movie, but... At the same time, it's just a fight on equal footing. Exactly, it's a, it's a, it's a, it's it, look, it's a level playing field when it's
0: Gina Carano who is spectacular, and I love that Soderbergh once again fashioned an entire movie around a non-actress. And yes, sure, a few of her lines sound a little flat, but uh, I, th- I think she completely carried the movie. I thought she was not only such an alluring and beautiful and striking actress, but completely carried this film all by herself, and I couldn't take my eyes off her. I think
2: it's a great film, wonderful movie. She's still better than Channing Tatum. Yes,
0: yes, I really do. That guy just—you know—I figured it out. What it is about the guy I can't handle? I just—he always sounds like he's mumbling to me. It's not that he can't (laughs) deliver a line, or that he's not handsome, or that he doesn't have charisma. He has those things, but it's just—he always sounds like you know he's got like a like a like a gobstopper in his mouth when he's delivering these lines. That's anyway. That's my fifty cents. What's that?
1: He's naturalistic.
0: she was naturalistic I think he just mumbles I'm sorry but I'm still waiting for a great Channing Tatum performance I'm still waiting but you know what maybe I need to see fighting maybe I do
1: have you seen Guide to Recognizing Your Saints
0: yes he wasn't bad in that he wasn't bad in that he wasn't bad and she's the man for what it's worth um, but I'm still, I'm still waiting, still waiting, and then finally, uh, d- just kind of getting exciting over the the new Walter Hill film. I went and revisited his first film. I haven't seen this in some time. Hard Times with, with uh, with Charles Bronson and James Coburn. This is a terrific film. This is a bare knuckle boxing film. It has such a feel for its era. This is a terrific boxing film. I think the only drawback. Is there are a few times where some some punches land on the face, and you could tell the sound effects guy was a little off at times? <laughs> okay. There's a few times where the fists are still in the air, and you hear like you know the sound of the ping pong racket like smacking the leather couch. Um, nevertheless, this is a great film, a terrific boxing movie. It's only 90 minutes long. It's very lean. It's very tight. It's definitely one of the great great Walter Hill movies. I highly <laughs> recommend it.
2: Cool. That's it for me. Right on. Okay. Well, let's go ahead and talk about what's hitting the- what hit theaters this past weekend. I should say
0: currently the number one movie in america uh, joe carnahan's the gray starring liam neeson the new film starring sam worthington and elizabeth banks man on a ledge katherine heigl in one for the money <laughs> kind of sums up a reason for doing that film in limited release you've got glenn close and janet mcteer both oscar nominees for albert Nobbs*, and robin hardy's return the
2: wicker tree there we go. So
0: you saw the gray? I'm assuming. Yes, Ethan and I, both I saw the gray. I,
2: I saw Julia's tweet about it. I post on Facebook about it. I mean,
0: she found it quite frightening. Yeah, we, uh, but I, I, uh, I certainly enjoy the film very much. Bottom line, it's great storytelling wonderful job i mean it's it's uh it's been compared to live, but it's a lot closer to like a, a jack london story or never cry wolf it's got a okay. real really it really does i mean i Ooh. and and but you know a, a an ultra violent never cry wolf <laughs> this, is, this is a really intense film throughout got wonderful set pieces liam neeson once again is our most soulful and unlikely and i think one of our best new action heroes he uh, he's terrific in this film uh joe carnahan what a surprise from him um look i'm sorry but i, I thought smoke aces was was a real downfall for him but this for me goes back to the kind of the prowess that he showed in Narc. i really love what he did with this film um it's a and best thing about the film is i didn't really know where it was going and it really ended up in ways that i did not expect i'm not even gonna hint what the ending is but i thought it was wonderful and perfect half of the people in the audience when the when the credits rolled went ah and half the other one yeah and started to applaud and i was one of those people um it this movie really does the trick it's one of the best films to come out in january i've seen it time.
2: cool what'd you think of it ethan
1: I I love this film. Uh, I, I I think it's a actually a one hundred percent deadly serious movie about the theme of dying. Sure. And th- throughout the movie, like there's really never any hope of survival, being rescued. It's all about kind of accepting your accepting your end. And I I found it like like I like the A Team, but this is so far removed from that.
2: Yeah. <laughs> that
1: it's 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 interesting. Like just thinking that this came from the same filmmaker. Because I think this is—I think this is a really accomplished film. Yes. And I—I uh, I think Liam Neeson's kind of been. I feel like he's kind of be becoming a joke lately. But this reminds me what a good actor he is. And uh, all the supporting actors, like all the character actors, were awesome too. Yeah. Like I'm not a big Dermot Mulroney <laughs> fan, but he was awesome.
0: <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, he's solid in this film. No, I agree with you, Ethan. I think it's easy to overlook like what a what a great existential drama this is. It really is. Um, yeah, it just. Uh, on one hand like the visuals are what's have stayed with me more than anything Um, it is a really somber film no question but, uh, I mean, gosh, like the scene where they're looking at the sea of eyes, looking at them in the darkness, or, or when, when Liam Neeson wakes up in the middle of the wilderness, or the part where they're, where they're going across the ledge. It's just, it's such a visually rich film, and, and I think that Carnahan really steps it up with the set pieces in this film. Uh, but moreover, you're, you're absolutely right. I mean, you're wa- walking out of the film, it's, it's a very sad and somber movie, but I also find it really, really beautiful. And I love uh, the way they use, without giving anything away, with the way they use the character of Liam Neeson's wife—the kind of the big reveal there, um, which I thought was so moving—and it, it made the ending to me so perfect. I mean, this—this is, this is what a treat in January that we get into this. Some of the
1: cut uh, flashbacks of his wife weirdly reminded me of. Uh the thin red line. I don't know
0: why. Yeah, definitely. No, definitely. the Same idea of like Ben Chaplin, kind of, kind of thinking back to his beautiful, luminous wife while he's in this terrible situation. No, I, that's a really good comparison.
2: So let me throw the question out there. We had Haywire last week. We've got the grade this weekend. Is could January start be, to be turning things around a little bit? Do you think? Well, or is I it just that there's just <laughs> been, there's been enough stuff that hasn't that, that I mean, both these films I could see as being difficult to market. So it sure. could be why they put them there. But it's not necessarily just crap coming out right now. No,
0: no, I mean, and I haven't seen Red Tails or Contraband yet, so I, I can't speak for everything else out there. we uh, will be seeing Contraband, thank you. <laughs> but you know what, I mean, if, if The Grey holds on and actually does manage to build some word of mouth, which it totally deserves, I mean, this movie deserves to be a really, really huge hit. Because I, I think you remember a few years ago when Paul Blart Mall Cop made $140 million for some reason. I have no idea and uh, you know uh, Norbit made 90 million for some reason. I mean I, what uh, how nice it would be if the gray actually you know was the first move of the year to make a hundred million and became like the word of mouth film because this this really is that kind of movie. and I agree with Ethan. it's better than anything else out there the, and you know there's um you probably saw this Dave. A lot of online critics saw
2: this film early. Yeah, saw it at a uh, buttonathon. Yeah, in yeah. fact,
0: Harry Knowles, it's on his list for ten best of two thousand eleven. And yeah. I, I'd, I wouldn't go quite that far, but I completely see what he's talking about. It's
2: that kind of film. Okay, I, I can't wait to see it. I was so bummed I wasn't able to get around to seeing it this week. Well, check
0: this it weekend. out when you can. Check it out, and uh, yeah, don't you know? Don't as Ethan and I are kind of hinting at. Don't expect a feel good. You know, <laughs> don't expect the A team. This is this is a, a this is kind of like Jerry as an action movie. We'll put it that way.
2: Okay. Yeah. All right, then. Okay, and did anyone see Man on the Ledge? Because I'm I'm sure no one saw One for the Money.
0: I almost saw One for the Money last night, but thankfully we saw The gray instead. Yes, so thank you, Julia. No, we did not (laughs) not see anything else.
2: That's that's a top sign your wife's a keeper.
0: Man on the Ledge sounded a lot like a typical January movie. Apparently it's got an all-star cast and it just doesn't deliver. At least that's what I'm hearing. I will
2: will see the film and give it a fair shake, but the word has not been good on Man on the Ledge. All right, well, let's talk about what's coming out on Blu-ray and DVD this week.
0: This week, the critically acclaimed Drive, and certainly one of the movie that is just about to become a cult film in about three, two, one. Transformers. I can't wait to see it. I'm looking forward to seeing it. Oh, gosh, yeah. You definitely need to see it, Dave. Uh, Transformers 3 on a three-disc edition. That is... I almost said two discs too many. That's three discs. Yeah, many. Really you don't is. need this movie. It really is. Uh, the remake of John Carpenter's The Thing, the not bad. I will be fair about this, Dave, and I have talked about this. The not bad, better than you'd think, but still unexceptional still remake. Just yeah. see the original. Uh, the... The real it, Julie actually was asking me this last night. She's like, "Whatever happened to that Justin Timberlake movie? Like the one, the that sci-fi movie? Whatever happened to that film in time? It was yeah. in theaters for about five seconds with Amanda Seyfried. Got very, very mixed reviews. The big year, uh, one of my picks for one of the worst films <laughs> of last year with Steve Martin, Jack Black, and Owen Wilson. Total washout. One of I, I would say this without hesitation, one of the best films ever made, To Kill a Mockingbird, available in the 50th anniversary edition. Star Trek: The Next Generation, the next level. These will be uh, <laughs> key episodes, key episodes of The Next Generation, chosen uh, to be released in Blu-ray. Cool. You also got the double uh, straight-to-video movie with uh, Richard Gere and Topher Grace. Dream House, a film uh, with Daniel Craig and I believe Naomi Watts and Rachel Weisz is in this movie. It was in the theaters for about five seconds. Critically acclaimed film starring Rucker Howard called The Mill and the Cross. Uh, the other F-word a documentary on punk rock. The Texas Killing Fields with Sam Worthington and Jessica Chastain, and sadly didn't even get a theatrical release. Outrage, the new film by Beat Takashi. It's his first film since brother. You know you want to check this out. More yakuza violence. Monsignor, the film starring Christopher Reeves and Geneviève Bujold. The film, uh, the uh, the camp classic movie about a scandal at the Vatican. And then probably the best list, the movie on the best movie on this list rather, Talking Heads chronology. This is their musical performances, 1976 at the CBGB all the way to 1983. And then finally on Blu-ray you've got uh, a bunch of award winners from Miramax you've got Shakespeare in Love, Frida, English Patient, Cold Mountain, uh then you've got Queen, Days of Our Lives as a documentary on the on the band Queen that's always a must, Adaptation, a great film with a great performance by Nicolas Cage. Uh let's see, you've got Norman Jewison's The Soldier Story. One of the great films of the 90s, Grand Canyon. Uh, one of the best films of the 90s. My, my, probably my favorite uh, Spike Lee film, Malcolm X, available on a Blu-ray book. Nothing in Common with Tom Hanks and Jackie Gleason. *Dust Boot, the director's cut by Wolfgang Peterson. And The Scout, the baseball movie you've never heard of and
2: don't need to see, starring Albert Brooks and Brendan Fraser. Nice. All right. Uh, well, I guess we can move on to our news. I'll kick off with one little deal thing I came across yesterday. Um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but three of Hitchcock's classics have just been hit, hit, hit on Blu-ray. Uh, Spellbound, Notorious, and Rebecca—all all previously released on the Criterion—it's uh, going about 17 20 bucks wherever you go. But if you have a Costco near you, you can pick them up for ten bucks piece which ain't bad at all. It looks like—I I read the review over at Blu-ray.com—and it looks like these are some pretty solid transfers, and it's supposed to be pretty stinking good.
0: never go wrong with Notorious.
2: Yes, yes, yeah. The other two—it uh, I, I, probably goes for me—goes Notorious, Rebecca, and then Spellbound. But okay. I know a lot of people don't like Rebecca
0: I like Rebecca I think it's a pretty solid film it's a creepy creepy movie I mean it's it's the whole ex-girlfriend thing you know like you know when, when you when you introduce someone to your family and your family loves them so much and it doesn't work out then there's no way the next person's gonna measure up and it's it's kind of like the horror <laughs> version of that story it kind of it really is and Laurence Olivier is in it it won best picture in 1940 yeah, I, I agree with you Dave it's a great film I, I mean
2: it's not even Hitchcock one of Hitchcock's favorites though
0: I know I know it's yeah. funny you know, but that's the only one that won best picture out of all of his films sadly yep. enough
2: yeah so alright let's move on to the rest of the news um, Sundance Awards you know really I hadn't heard much heard of really any of the movies that won like Let's see, the Grand Jury Prize for Drama went to Beasts of the, S- the Southern Wild, which I have no idea what it is. That's, uh, from what I've heard,
0: it's basically showing, it's like a, either a documentary or a docudrama about homeless people.
2: Okay. No, I
1: think it's uh, like a, what I heard It's a combination of where the are in George Washington.
2: Where the wild things are in George Washington? Huh. Yeah. Huh, okay. Interesting. All right. Uh, documentary one was the house i live in which is about the american criminal justice system blah 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 i i want to see vhs that's the one that's got me all excited because i've been hearing great things about it
0: yeah i've heard it's excellent yeah it's a anthology uh, a found, found footage, footage anthology, anthology that actually
2: film. works i have to see if this is even remotely possible it's
0: apparently quite scary i also want to see uh, celeste and Jesse forever which is uh, starring and written by rashida jones supposed to be quite good
2: okay right on
0: and then there's the one with uh, Franklin Langella and a robot. It's supposed to be quite good. <laughs>
2: okay.
1: Yeah, yeah. Again, Tim and Eric's billion-dollar movie.
2: That's right. That's right. Which actually got really sterling reviews from Sundance. Although, with with, with the caveat of if you don't know what it is, <laughs> once again, may God have mercy on your soul.
1: That's, yeah. that's that's pretty much
2: what I've heard from people. Um, let's see, what else have I got before we get to the big news? Um, the God Bless America trailer, Bobcat Goldthwait's new movie. Um, apparently, you shouldn't watch the trailer because it doesn't really represent the film all that well but it still looks intriguing to me
0: yeah seeing that trailer i really wonder if the movie's able to sustain its premise but nevertheless you know it's just a trailer
2: so yeah yeah i mean i've read many of a review of people who just couldn't stop laughing during the thing so cool and then let's let's get to the oscar nominees because i really want to get barry's take on the best picture category (laughs) oh goodness well my students asked me uh, they'
0: are like hey did you see the Oscar nominations what'd you think what'd you think and, and I said well you know I, I really thought the Tree of Life was a long shot at this point just because it opened in May you know it's 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 divided people left and right so I, I can't see that I expected it to be up for best picture but I'm thrilled that it's ever best picture director and certainly cinematography which everybody thought I was gonna get I'm amazed that extremely <laughs> loud and incredibly close is ever best Picture I did not see that coming in a million years not only did it open late I mean this is this has become a January film this is a typical January movie now but this was supposed to open you know like in limited in december and it opened in a few screens but really this has become a january prototypical january movie uh i don't know anybody who saw this movie and liked it
2: um let I'm alone s- anyone who will fess up to even watching it
0: i'm yeah. astonished i'm imagining stephen daltrey and tom hanks and the cachet of, of you know sandra bullock is really what has it here um what an insult what an insult to the career of max von that he is the yeah. best supporting actor <laughs> oh my gosh um uh, i am so I can't even tell you how angry that makes me. This is like, this is a magnificent actor. Um, I mean, let me just, I I wrote this. Let me just read this really, really quick. I promise this won't be self-indulgent too much. These are the films that Max von Sydow should have been nominated for. This is his first Oscar nomination. He should have been nominated for The Virgin Spring, Mm -hmm. Three Days of Condor, Pelly the Conqueror, Minority Report, Needful Things, Robin Hood, Snow Falling on Cedars, Hannah and Her Sisters, Until the End of the World, or The Seven Seal. He talks Um, in all of those movies. Strange Brew. And Strange Strange Brew. Brew, Sorry, Strange Brew. Yeah, would be, I, That would have been uh, ridiculous if he was nominated for Strange Fruit*. But at least he gave a performance in that. This is a man who, who speaks two languages, and he doesn't speak any in, in this stupid, stupid, idiotic, insipid movie.
2: And yet he's nominated for Best Supporting Actor. I mean, what an insult. I know it's just going to have to like mention it, and you're going to be wound up and ready to go. I'm sorry. That's okay. No, no, no. Um, yeah, that's the one that's like, what, really? Uh, you know, I was having seen Moneyball now. I totally understand why it's there. Are, were there any surprises that that, that that they actually got nominated? You know, like The Help? No, no, that thing is so popular. It really is. Did you see the alternate? Did you see the alternate <laughs> on so many levels? Oh, it is. It is. Um, did you see the the, the alternate po- movie posters? No. Like some have made like alternate movie posters of all these best picture nominees, and like you know, like uh, Girl, Dragon, Dead Two was like all the rape with no subtitles. Ah. Uh, Other such things, tsh- but the help was don't worry, black people. White people got racism fixed. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> Something along those lines. Yeah, it's I. I get it from the performances. Yeah, but that's the story it. That, is, that just, is it. The performances are great. That's it. Which tells me this movie doesn't have a rat's chance of winning anything. And that, uh, it, well, it doesn't have a rat's chance of winning Best Picture. Because really, it, well, and traditionally, it's you look at who the director is, who got nominated for director, to see who the real front runners are of those ten. Well,
1: it's we all know it's going to be the artist.
0: Yeah, at this point the artist says, you know you're right Ethan and and I'm someone who liked the artist, but I also I, I totally get the backlash. This is a movie that's just a bit underrated because it is such a slight little stunt of a movie. It doesn't deserve to be a best picture. It's a movie that loves Hollywood it's a movie that celebrates Hollywood and I've I really enjoyed the artist a lot, but not so, for best so is it picture. so is
2: it this year's the King's speech? no no, oh, okay. no, 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 no. It's no. better than the King's speech. I think so. Okay. I really do, yeah.
0: I watch The Artist again in a heartbeat. I wouldn't watch The King's Speech again. I feel like once was enough. Okay. Um, War Horse, I think, is a beautiful film, visually beautiful film, but it's, you know, it, the story is every bit as idiotic and, and far-fetched as you've heard. And it is from the point of view of The Horse, which is just silly.
2: Um, well, here are the five movies that we think we're going to be. Have a shot. Yes, the artist has been nominated for Best Director as well as The Descendants, Hugo, Midnight in Paris, and Tree of Life. Hugo has a shot. I
0: think Hugo could be the real surprise dark horse. I wouldn't be surprised if it won Best Picture and Best Director. Um, there is There has been talk about the movies gaining momentum. People love Scorsese. People love this movie, and I think it, it ended up getting released what was it against Arthur Christmas like there were too many other films of it uh, you know other family quote unquote Mm -hmm. family movies out at the same time and I think now it seems like people are really giving Hugo the attention it didn't get the first time so I'd say if any movie could surprise and win I think Hugo definitely has a shot of taking it from the artist fair enough I would love Tree of Life to win but I just don't think that's (laughs) going to happen I think it's going to be cinematography for that movie but I would love for
2: Tree of Life to, to sweep it but you never know yeah, yeah. Um, were you surprised to see Jessica Jastain get nominated for the Help of all things?
0: No, because I, I love her she's performance the best part of the it. movie. Yeah, yeah, I love her performance in this movie. I really do. Um, I wish she was up for the Tree of Life because mm-hmm. I thought she was amazing in that, or even something like The Debt, which would get a lot more exposure. Um, so not, not really for that. Um, I was certainly surprised about Octavia Spencer, whose performance I really wasn't impressed with. I think it really is the prototypical Mammy-made, Hattie McDaniel role that we've seen before. So no, I really was not impressed
2: with her. I like Viola Davis a lot in that movie, but not Octavia Spencer. Fair enough. Fair enough. So, so what's the big snub for, y- for you, Ethan? I'm going to start off with you.
1: Uh, Michael Fassbender. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Albert Brooks.
2: See, I'll be able to agree with that once I see Drive this week.
1: Oh, and uh, Shailene Woodley.
2: I would go with Judy Greer for
0: this sentence, and certainly uh, Carrie Mulligan for shame. Um, no performance by an actress really blew me away as much as her, other than uh, than Elizabeth Olsen, who also got that whole movie got, got
2: screwed. But uh, yeah, 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 Carrie
0: Mulligan for shame. I couldn't believe that she wasn't up.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that was. I, I was kind of bummed that Winnie the Pooh didn't get nominated for best animated film. Yeah, but yeah, whatever. And we've only got two songs for best original song. And Tree of Life for special effects. I mean, I thought those effects were magnificent. More, more I, I think you could even make the the argument that uh, shame could be should be in the in play for cinematography too. Because oh yeah, the, the way that film was shot was. Amazing. I agree. Yeah, definitely for cinematography. But it got it got completely shut out, didn't it? yeah
0: shame got screwed completely yeah and drive is only up for best sound effects editing i think <laughs> yeah. which it deserves to win by the way that the, the mm-hmm. sound effects are terrific in that movie it did certainly i and uh, that song um a real hero i gotta say i thought that was gonna be up i guess it was made before the film but too bad because it, it should that movie should have been nominated for best song best score best cinematography best art
2: direction that's all All i know is that the muppets is gonna win an oscar because it has superman is Muppet. definitely going to win because that song from Rio. it's not the best song in that movie I so. would even argue that, that Manor Muppet isn't even the best song from The Muppets. So, uh, My not.
1: favorite song was uh, Chris Cooper's Rap Zone. So. <laughs>
2: the Tex Richmond rap. Oh, that was glorious. All right. So here's the thing that really, I, I, I'm sure you remember last year. I was like, screw it. I don't care about the Oscars anymore. And it still holds. Like, I'm like, you know, I, it's, it's a crime that Shame got completely shut out, and there's other things, but I'm like, I really don't care. Ah, Tree, of Mo- Tree
0: of Life, Moneyball, and Descendants are in there, which makes me care.
1: Mm-hmm. I, I will say the, the the best nomination for me Was Gary Oldman Yes Oh sure
0: He was and, outstanding And he could film. very well
2: get it I
1: would be so okay with that
0: That movie divides people But no question That performance is
2: It's is perfect Yeah because Well here's the thing Brad Pitt was great in Moneyball Don't get me wrong But was it really an Oscar Performance I don't think so And I think he's done better I do yeah, And I think he'll, you know, he's not going to
0: win for World War Z, but I'll tell you what, Leonardo DiCaprio will probably win next year for Great Gatsby, let's just say. It. It's going to be between him and Hugh Jackman for Les Miserables. So it's probably oh. going to be, you know, you know they want to give DiCaprio the Oscar for Gatsby, so everyone's going, oh, he was shut out for J Edgar. No, he was never going to win for that stupid movie. He'll definitely win next year, though, for Gatsby.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, okay, well, I guess that'll wrap up our news for the week. Just we, We've talked enough about it. Let's move into the Star Trek goodness. Um, oh, my gosh. Dude, I know what we need to go see next week, Barry. What's that? I know The Innkeepers is coming out up at the Denver Film Center. Yeah. Did you see what the watching hour is? No. Let's see. It is... It's, are you talking about perfect? Uh-huh. Oh, yeah. I've
0: seen perfect. Yeah. That's Have beyond. you? Is it as bad as it looks? Oh, yeah. It's dreadful. It's John Travolta and uh, Jamie Lee, Lee Curtis, Curtis and Mary Lou Henner. Yeah. It's about this Rolling Stone reporter who goes undercover into a, into a workout... It's aerobic a, workout. Aerobic workout into the world of aerobic workouts to understand like how much sex is involved, and he ends up having an affair with with Jamie Lee Curtis as this uh, gorgeous aerobics instructor. And there's a scene in the movie uh, I don't know have you seen the thrust off scene? That's probably the most famous part of the movie, where it's like this aerobic this workout where they kind of thrust for about two minutes. <laughs> um, those are a did, thrusting. Wait, did this movie come out
1: like this year? No, this is
0: 1985. Figured. Yeah, this is this is after staying alive. This is before look who's talking. This is like one of the movies that kind of kind of knocked John Travolta off his pedestal. But then
2: you know the talking baby movie brought him back. Um, it's a, it's certainly a turkey. I should have I should have waited for the next movies week next week's movies. But it's like you know, pull out the leg warmer sweatbands because it's going to get Leo tarted. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and they're going to have a hip thrusting contest, so. Oh,
0: absolutely. No, that sounds like if you are a fan of Perfect or I've seen Perfect, this is the perfect way to see this movie. Yeah, 35 millimeter.
2: Okay, sorry, sorry, Star Trek. We have more important things to talk about. <laughs> I've just been looking at that for the last little bit. I'm like, this is, that just, I can't not talk about that real oh, quick. Oh, yeah, yeah, no. Perfect is, uh, that deserves its own episode,
0: I would say. In fact, I think bad Travolta movies in general deserve an episode <sighs> on this show.
2: You mean a series of episodes? Old dogs?
0: <laughs> yeah, seriously, man. I mean, think of the possibilities.
2: Oh, man, all the yeah. movies I'd have to watch that I just want to hurt myself after. Luke
0: it. is talking now. Okay. Battlefield. Star Earth. Trek.
2: Star Trek. Let's Star go with Star Trek. Please, the love of All right. Um,. So, said, so at Star Trek, When was it, 67 to 69? Mm-hmm. Lasted three seasons, has lived on forever. Yes, it has. I, um, I think a proper way to kind of put this in
0: perspective is, first of all, to, to emphasize what a bunch of network knuckleheads they were for canceling <laughs> this thing and to kind of give just a little bit of build up to Star Trek The Motion Picture. Um, not, a, not a lot of Trekkies know this, and I'm Trekkie or Trekker. I, I go Okay, I, I would I say care. Trekkie. Okay, I just want to make sure. I don't want to offend anybody. Um, Star Trek 1 which was originally going to be a movie directed by Philip Kaufman. Not everybody knows It's Philip Kaufman, of course, who made The Right Stuff, and Quills, and Henry and June. Great director. He originally was going to make a movie because Paramount saw that the, the ratings for the syndicated Star Trek were really through the roof. And Clearly there was an audience for this. This was in the early 70s. They were going to make this movie called Star Trek Planet of the Titans and the thing about plan of the titans in this script was that the original cast of Star Trek was going to get killed off in the first 20 minutes. Really? Yeah. That was his pitch. They was going to kill off everybody. It was going to reinvent science fiction as we know it. It was going to be something completely unexpected. And Paramount said, you're nuts. You're fired. So Kaufman instead went and made Invasion of the Body Snatchers, interestingly enough, starring Leonard Nimoy. Yeah. So anyway, so back at Paramount, they're like, okay, thank God, Planet of the Titans didn't happen. Let's make our own Star Trek show. So Paramount started to make, of course, Star Trek Phase 1. It was going to star Stephen Collins as Commander Decker and the gorgeous and hairless versus Kambada as Aaliyah. Uh, this was Gene Roddenberry's baby. The, the sets were built. The costumes were made. Scripts were written. This thing was ready to go. But then Star Wars happened in 77. And then a few months later, Close Encounters of the Third Kind opened up and that was the even bigger indicator that, my goodness, there's a huge audience for science fiction. It's not just Star Wars. People want to see the return of big-budget, grand science fiction. So along <laughs> that comes—
2: explains so much for the first movie. Exactly.
0: So along comes—you know, not only is the Star Trek the motion picture, but it's directed by Robert Wise. You know, I'm not too shabby. The director of West Side Story and—, and The uh, Haunting. And- yeah, The Haunting and the Sound of Music, just to name a few. I mean, this is, like, one of the great, great directors. And so you have this movie that really got rushed, it got rushed in its filming, and even Robert Wise himself has said that the version that was released in Christmas of 1979, by the way, the only G-rated Star Trek film, was a director's cut. He didn't have time to test the movie, he didn't have time to properly edit it and cut it down to shape and really work on the pace. So you have a movie that a lot of fans are not happy with. Before I turn it over to Dave and Ethan, um, I just want to say why I love this movie so much. It is one of my favorite Star Trek films. It's because this movie came out the same year as the VCR. Why do I mention that? This movie was not meant to be seen on a screen smaller than Cinerama. This is a huge, huge movie. For Pete's sake, it's got an overture. It's got that grand Jerry Goldsmith score. It's got gorgeous special effects. It really does use 2001 A Space Odyssey as its model. Oh, absolutely. And and it it is a very slow and very mysterious and serene and let's say you know very laid back movie I freaking love this movie because it does try to be an epic size Star Trek movie not everything works but
2: I, I've always loved Star Trek the motion picture I, I, I will go back and say one thing I can kind of see why they canned the show because that third season had some stinkers in it mm. I mean like Spock's brain and that's oh right. the, that episode is that, that episode hurts
0: is that the season where they go to the planet and everybody's Al Capone I think so yeah
2: yeah it, it, it yeah I can see why it happened that's all I'm going to say um this movie, now, have you seen both cuts recently? Yes. Okay. Cause yeah. I, because the DVD we have when we watched over New Year's was the quote unquote director's cut, like the newer version of and it. It is better, no question. It is? But it's so effing long. I mean, do we really need a 10-minute sweeping shot of the Enterprise every half hour? It looks amazing on the big screen, though. I really
0: think people are missing out when they haven't seen it on a big, big, big screen, because that's what this movie was made for. I think this, this is one of these movies like Dances with Wolves or The Tree of Life. You really are losing something when you're not seeing it on the biggest screen possible. Otherwise, it does become some, something of a chore. I'll admit that.
2: Ethan, what's your take on the first film?
1: It tries. <laughs>
0: Fair enough. Do you guys like the Twilight Zone twist at the end? I like it, the whole, the the origin of v I think it's really
1: cool. I'm going to be honest. I remember the, I've only seen it once, and I remember, I think I fell asleep towards the (laughs) end. I think, I think I watched the rest of it, but... I don't
0: know. Well, you're not alone. I mean, you know, I mean, even that's the thing. Like Even before the snarky internet years, I mean, they were already calling this movie 1979. They were already calling it Star Trek the slow motion picture, the motionless picture. I mean, I, I thought that was something that was new. That actually, no, that's what they were calling it back in the 70s. I mean, this mm-hmm. this thing was not loved by fans. And yet, it was a huge grocer, made over $80 million. And, you know, that's, that's when, you know, that was a lot of money in 1979. Oh, yeah. yeah. So, needless to say, just a few years later, 1982, you get Star Trek The Wrath of This time uh, on a much tighter budget, uh, much, much leaner uh, screen time. In terms of how long it took to make the movie, they actually had a good deal of time and money to make a film, but a much, much more low budget film than the original. And they got Nicholas Meyer, the director of Time After Time, really great director and truly proven to be a real asset to these Star Trek films. And they brought back, of course, Ricardo Montalban as Khan, uh, the role that he played in the
2: original season of, uh, of Star Trek in the yeah. episode Space Speed. Space Speed, yes. Yeah, the first season. That first season was amazing. Uh, real quick go back to the first one real quick mm-hmm. the interesting thing that I think most people don't understand is when you watch that director's cut it's not like the quote unquote director's cuts you see now was just crap thrown in like right. all those sw- broad sweeping scenes were there before but everything that was added was character stuff a lot of it on Vulcan and, yeah. and it really flushed out the film a lot more I yeah. thought so yeah Rathacon. Um you know it's a good movie I don't it's not my favorite
0: yeah me neither I think it's I think it's maybe the most overrated movie in this case. it's
2: overrated what?
0: <laughs> Just a little bit, yeah, um what I love about the movie I love uh Ali as Savic I think it's a good addition. I like that there's a female For one ball movie yeah 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 exactly um the ending the big climax with with Spock I do find really emotionally stirring it always mm-hmm. it always gets to me every time I see it and I love and, the
2: fact that it's really most of that is between um bones and spock as opposed yes to Kirk and spock. exactly right
0: it's a really tightly paced film i love james horner's theme i think it's a beautiful score by james horner and montalban even though no one is ever buying that fake chest of his it's a very good performance he's a great
2: villain <laughs> come on he's not built like that how can you <laughs> say it ain't so yeah it's a fun movie it's it's just you know it's not the Best of them, I don't think.
0: Well, we should we should bring this up really briefly. I mean, do you think it is a plus or a minus when they make movies that kind of feel like like you know cinematic versions of the TV show? Because to me, this feels like oh, an episode of the show, and not always in the most complimentary way. I do think when they when they do something that's more cinematic, it doesn't feel like it belongs on a little box. And
2: for me, this this movie plays just as well on the big screen as it is the little screen, which I think plays as a strength in some ways because it is more of a character piece. It's not quite the effects. Ma- you know wonder that the first film was yes but yeah it definitely kind of goes back to those TV conventions in some ways like the like the slugs yes <laughs> I understand like it's it's awful because it makes Chekhov turn on everyone but slugs really <laughs> I'm gonna say that scene always freaked me out though yeah. oh yeah
0: especially, especially as a child those scenes were always very frightening to me yeah do you like this one Ethan?
1: yeah it's quite good uh, I, I guess it's like the fan favorite but yeah. uh, you, you're right I think it oh i'm trying to think of things to say about this that are kind of original and have never been said before um
2: good luck it's with good. it it's good fair <laughs> enough fair enough this one definitely is the most hyperbolic, hyperbolically praised film yes for a long time i think for the longest time it was that this is the gold standard and how dare you say anything else is better
0: i wonder if that's just because in compared to star trek the motion picture which really wasn't it, even though it's like it, it, on one hand it's everything the trekkies wanted but on the other hand it's not it's mm-hmm. a, it is, a i'll admit it, it's a bloated lumbering movie especially on the small screen whereas star trek 2 works well on the little screen it is such a quick film it's very tightly paced it is pretty exciting it builds nicely and it really does feel like like kind of like the star trek movie that the trekkies want it
2: is you know it's pretty lean and mean yeah, the first one I think you could say you could easily have cut that movie about in half and gotten the same story across. Sure, yeah, sure. I mean, literally a half hour was sweeping shots. I timed it. <laughs> I'm just like, wow. And I think because the second one was so tight, it was it was definitely entertaining too. Yeah, I think that's why it, there was just such a disparity from the first to the second movie. I think that's why like, a lot of people really enjoyed the second one so much.
0: And that might be one of the reasons people like the third one so much because it really it really is so closely connected to the second one. In fact, the next in fact, yeah, this movie is certainly the beginning of Star Trek IV. It's a bunch of Mm -hmm. unfinished business from the previous films. But anyway, Star Trek: The the Search for Spock. Star Trek III came out in 1984, directed by Leonard Nimoy. Well. What I, I, and I'll just say this is one of my least favorite Star Trek films. Mm-hmm. And I think it really does miss something immensely from not having Spock in there. When Spock comes up in the climactic scene, that's my favorite part of the movie. I love the way Leonard Nimoy plays it. I love the way the characters reintroduce. Uh, the opening intro, for me, kind of sums up the movie where, I don't know if you remember this, the first thing you see is a little box. And in the box is the scene where Spock dies. Spoiler. Mm. And the little box comes closer and closer and closer. And it's meant to like kind of give the sense of like a memory that's coming back into focus, but it also looks like a, like a little TV box. And for me, that's kind of what this movie is. It's like an episode that you could have just watched. But we on have TV. Christopher Lloyd as a Klingon. Christopher and and I know certainly Ethan knows this and will love this. John Larroquette as a Klingon, yes. completely unrecognizable, by the way. I've, I've, every time people have to point it out to me. But yeah, indeed, John Larroquette is a Klingon. Um, I think the the action pack climax is quite good. Um, Robin Curtis is a total snooze, a Savic man. What a what a difference! <laughs> Kirstie Alley makes not that is not that that's worth talking about. But uh, no, I I just I don't like this film. I think it's really I think it's really one of the corniest. People oh, always absolutely. people always mention you know insurrection whatever. I think this is one of the corniest corniest Star Trek films.
2: It's yeah,
1: it's kind of bland. Yeah,
2: yeah there's there's a reason why it, it's been known that the odd movies suck and the even movies are good
0: well you know i disagree with that just because of how i feel about star trek one and another one we'll get to in a little bit yeah but, uh, yeah i don't know it, for me this is it, it. uh for me like once
2: spock appears the movie finally starts happening and that's in the last 10 minutes it, it really the whole thing about about him inhabiting bones's body really felt forced yeah that was strange yeah <laughs> <laughs> Um, let me throw something out here because I always thought this was
0: interesting. People don't talk about this anymore. In fact, it's probably considered Star Trek heresy to talk about this. But there was speculation that the reason that Saavik was not on the mission in Star Trek 4, by the way, also played by Robin Curtis in Star Trek 4, uh-huh. the reason that she was not on the mission with them is because of the encounter that she has with, with little Spock. Remember? The little, the oh, little love scene. Oh. So there was there was people, I remember at the time in 1986, that people was a little saying, creepy. Well, people are saying that maybe is she pregnant with his kid. <laughs> you know, did did she get pregnant in that encounter? Is that why she's been left behind? Apparently they're saying no, there's no way. Spock would never knock up Savik, even as a small kid.
2: But uh, I don't know if there's not much, you have much control when it's going on with with <laughs> with, 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 with Vulcan Horny time. Especially, man, especially with you see that finger action, man. That was some <laughs> some pretty raunchy stuff. <laughs> wow. Okay. Wow. All right. Well, I, was, no, no, I want to get back to Christopher Lloyd real oh, okay, quick. Okay, I'm sorry. Yeah, Christopher I, Lloyd, yes. I actually think he did pretty well as, as the villain. He, sure, he sure. really just threw himself into that role and wasn't Doc Brown. He wasn't the crazy uncle that you love. He was actually pretty rough.
0: Yeah, it was interesting casting because this is bef- this is the year before Back to the Future, so he was basically known as the guy from Taxi at this mm-hmm. point. So yeah, it was it was interesting casting, and I got to say he does look pretty good with the with the with the Klingon goatee thing going on.
2: This is probably the the role that put him most against type for the rest of his career. I think mm. like this is the, the 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 sterling example of him going against what he does in every other movie, pretty much.
0: I love his pet in the movie. Do yes. you Remember that pet? I yes. want that freaking thing. It's like a it's like an evil Gila monster. I love it. And it's at his it's at loyally at his side, and at one point it. It's funny, like, on one hand, you've got, you know, the death of, of, of Kirk's son, but, like, who cares Ooh. about that? No, it's all about the death of this monster.
2: Mm-hmm. Were you going to say something, Ethan?
1: I, I was going to bring up Kirk's uh, son, but he did it for me.
2: Sorry. Yeah. Sorry. Did yeah, anybody that, that, cry when Kirk's son died? I was didn't.
0: like,
1: wow.
2: He well, I was going to bring it,
1: bring that up. Like, <laughs> that compared to, like, Spock dying, it's,
2: it's like such a, it's like, who cares? Yeah. It's like, wow, what a wuss. Kirk's son might as well have been wearing the red shirt, you know? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, because he had about the skills of a red shirt. Yeah.
0: (laughs) He didn't make much of an impression. I can, I barely remember his face. I just remember the face because of the poster, but he looked kind of like, kind of like William Katz, Mm -hmm. less interesting younger brother.
2: Yes. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's pretty fair. Yeah. That that was was a a plot line that just didn't, that was there specifically to give Kirk something to do. That's kind of what it felt like. Yes. So,
0: yeah. Well, on to the voyage home, um, and again, this is something that most Trekkies know, but we gotta talk about this. The reason it's set in present day is because this was supposed to be an Eddie Murphy vehicle. Eddie Murphy coming off the success of Beverly Hills Cop, certainly Paramount is looking at the grosses of that movie, plus how, how successful Star Trek Three was, and they said, you know, we need to put our biggest franchises together. So, the reason that they were gonna set the film in the past is because the crew was gonna go back in time, the same thing, to find the to find the thing that with the whales and the probe and all that, and they were gonna find a wacky scientist played by Eddie Murphy instead of Catherine Hicks
2: so it was going to be like putting Richard Pryor in Superman 3
0: what do you think about that Ethan
1: I like that comparison
0: <laughs> I think it's appropriate I think it's very appropriate and it, it's interesting to think I mean I would love to go to that bizarro universe and see Star Trek 4 starring <laughs> Eddie Murphy and William Shatner it was going to happen um, it's really it, it's it's you know there's a lot has been written about it it's an interesting story Murphy really liked Leonard Nimoy they talked about it at length they were going to make it happen drafts were written and apparently uh, Brandon Tartikoff the then CEO of Paramount uh, basically, basically said look if this works this is going to be the biggest hit in the history of the company, if it doesn't, it's going to kill Star Trek. It's going to kill Eddie Murphy. We're going to be screwed. We're going to have a, <laughs> we're going to lose two of our biggest franchises. So, uh, to make amends, what they did was instead they stuck Eddie Murphy in a movie that uh, well, Mel Gibson turned down, The Golden Child, and the Gold, The Golden Child and Star Trek 4 actually came out at the same time. So, so Star Trek and Eddie Murphy were in the, playing in theaters at the same time, just a completely different movies. But anyway, of course, they got rid of the Eddie Murphy. Angle I think they and needed
2: him. to. That that wouldn't have worked because because Catherine Hicks plays the proverbial straight man so well.
0: Yeah, and also you have a love interest that actually really works for that film and you know that would have been way too much high concept for that movie i mean oh, yeah. the, the, the time travel thing was fine all the humor was fine you put eddie murphy in there i mean it, it probably would have become a little too much yeah you get insurrection
2: oh wait sorry
0: well we'll get there we'll get yeah, there yeah I,
2: um, I love star trek 4
1: i just want to get it out there
0: and why do you love this film
1: The humor—it's like it is kind of like well, bringing up Eddie Murphy—it's basically coming to America.
0: Yeah, it is. is. That's
2: (laughs) That's brilliant, sir. I love,
0: uh, yeah, and I same same here, man. I I I do love this film. This was this was for me the movie that introduced me to Star Trek, and I know a lot of people say the same thing. This Mm -hmm. movie, in such a huge way, brought Star Trek back. It was the top, it it, until um, until the J.J. Abrams film. This was the top-grossing Star Trek movie, the first one to ever make over 100 million, up for a ton of Oscars. In fact, a lot of people were saying that it had a real shot at best picture but ended up getting about six nominations hugely popular Um, it's
2: easily the most accessible of the movies
0: yes yes even people who like myself as a child were not familiar with star trek they saw this movie and it reintroduced them and all of a sudden sales of the of the action figures and the video cassettes just kind of went through the roof. this really introduced star trek back um leonard nimoy as spock on the cover of time magazine i mean this thing really made trekkie and being a trekkie like a like a buzzword
1: Mm-hmm. Wait, what's that scene where like uh, they're they're gonna like teleport away and he's saying goodbye to her and then she's like surprised and she like
2: jumps on him or something
0: <laughs> yeah yeah she jumps into the into the beamer yeah she jumps into the tele yeah the transporter beam with him yeah Leonard Nimoy directed this one and the last one and I gotta say um it, the last one was adequately directed but I think he does a really nice job of this film I he think it really comes into his own yeah yeah because because the comedic scenes for the most part they really do work it really is genuinely funny it is a character comedy it really isn't much of an action movie at all it's a it's a real character comedy the whole thing about Chekhov uh, being in the hospital and how Scotty has technology and Scotty and Bones have technology far beyond anything in 86 and and how that often comes up. It was good stuff. The scene uh, with the glasses. Remember where he goes yes. to the, the pawn shop. That's a great, great payoff there. The one that everybody talks about, and I guess it might be on the DVD. I haven't seen it. Is where uh, Sulu meets his his grandfather as a little boy.
2: I have not seen that.
0: Yeah, apparently that's a, that's another scene that that didn't make the final cut. Um, but yeah, this is a really nice character comedy. It's, it is a very sweet and tender movie. There is all that business at the beginning, and the end that kind of ties up Star Trek two II and three, and the whole notion of them being on trial for blowing up the Enterprise. But, uh, yeah, I, I think this movie really does work. Absolutely. Don't they
1: also dedicate it to the memory of, like, the Voyager or something at the beginning? The Challenger. Yeah, the show, Challenger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the, yeah Challenger the Victims of the Challenger Blown Channel. Up. Yeah,
0: yeah. Yeah, which is very cool. Um Yeah. Yeah, that's a whole lot of subject, but yeah, no, it, it, I thought that was pretty classy too. Yes. Um, yeah, no, I think the, the film does work. And then we've we, we've got so they gave
2: they gave Nimoy a shot at directing. That's right. Fair's and, fair. And
0: William Shatner said, "Hey, I'm not going to do Star Trek 5 unless you pay me a ton of money." And they're like, "Okay." And he's like, "I'm not gonna letting. I'm not directing this unless you let me direct it." And they're like. Okay, we'll let you direct it. They're like, okay, I'm not directing this movie and starring in it unless you let me write it too. And they're like, okay, Mr. Shatner. So William Shatner is the triple threat here. Star Trek Five is his baby, no question. He wrote it, he directed it, he starred in it. Um, it's not as bad as I remembered. Thank you, Dave. I appreciate you saying that because this is <laughs> uh, this is always the one I have a hard time defending. But uh, I I think it's wildly uneven, no question. But I like this film. I always have, and I'll tell you why. Let me just get it out of the way. All right. Yes, the fan dance scene does not work. <laughs> it it no, wouldn't work uh, with anybody. No, it definitely doesn't work with the lovely Nichelle Nichols. It doesn't. It wouldn't work with Scotty. It wouldn't work with anybody. That scene is stupid. It's a. It was just a bad idea for a moment. Um, the way Scotty is often used as a punchline in this movie. And that creepy, We have to
1: mention the best scene in the movie, which is when he hits his head. <laughs> yeah, this is
2: what they played yeah. in every trailer. You turned into like Jerry Lewis for this yeah, movie. Yeah, yeah, and Chevy Chase is probably a better way to put it. Well, you
0: know what's weird is right after that, there's that weird moment where Ahura is comforting him and almost like. Hitting on him is like, who are these characters? That's a really weird moment there. The finale is really, really. Lacking. As soon as it gets to why does God
2: need a starship, the, the, it it jumps off a cliff.
0: It's it, it there were well there's more to talk about the ending but yeah I'll admit the ending is very clunky and also the the humor which was such a selling point for Star Trek four is overused here it's really really problematic and really forced in some scenes.
2: Now here's why I like this movie mm-hmm. I want to I I'm, I'm wondering if it's the same reason that Steph likes it and why, the reason that I've noticed it might
0: it. be I, I want to defend this movie because I really feel this movie gets a bum rap and oh, look I'm not saying it's a great movie but I think it's it really deserves some reconsideration for one thing I love Lawrence Luckenbach as Sybok I love that character I think it's a fascinating character character. I love the way he plays it somewhere between like Moses and Charles Manson. I love all the scenes of I'm going to take away your pain. I love the way those scenes are directed. I love the way the scenes are acted, particularly DeForest Kelly, Mm -hmm. the scene where Bones has to confront his past. That scene is so moving and he is so good in that scene. And it's such a stunningly well done scene that it, it, it makes me forgive so much of this movie. I like the Western motif. I know okay, those yep, scenes of them yep. all on horseback is a little silly, but clearly Shatner was trying to like do a do a John Ford thing, and I think it's really interesting the whole the whole Western town motif that pops up, and you know what the search for God, I know how silly it is, but it's Star Trek. I think it's a really really cool idea for Star Trek. There really is a sense of mystery there, and I think it's such a, it's such it, it really is like okay, we've taken Star Trek to so many crazy places. Why not go to like one of the most logical places of all the the, the search for God um yeah I, I really do think that there's a lot of great character stuff in this movie and a lot of really great ideas even though it didn't come together um last thing i'll say before i turn it over to you guys there is a, a scene that will appear on the dvd and it's also on youtube of the rock monster that kirk was supposed to battle in the climax there was supposed to be this the the monster that does it's not god spoiler the monster that appears is not really god um but he attacks them and he attacks the starship he actually at one point made this rock formation come to life and it was kirk versus the rock monster if you it, it see
2: does it looks like the monster in Galaxy Quest?
0: It looks kind of like The Thing from Fantastic Four, okay. only cooler. It's got glowing red eyes. It's creepy. It's really cool. I recommend looking at the footage. It's huh. really, really great. For whatever reason, they didn't use it. This movie, for me, it came close to being really great, and for me, it's a really admirable miss. Ethan,
2: what do you think of this one? I'll let you go next.
1: Again, really, after Scotty hitting his head, <laughs> what is there to talk about? That's true.
2: That's true. I The, the thing that, that Steph brought to my attention.
1: Oh, and the rocket boots. In yeah, the rocket, the rocket boots, boots yeah, yeah, yeah,
2: yeah. When 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 the, when the floors start going back down again, instead of going right, down the right. whole time.
1: Well, if you're gonna, if you're one
0: of those guys who pauses it to look at the numbers, then yes, you're right. It's a flaw. It's a flaw.
2: Well, it's flaw. Well, here here's here's the big thing: is the Western scenes and the scenes with the ter- take away your pain, especially with Bones, is that this film does find a way to highlight the camaraderie and brotherhood between Bones, Spock, and Kirk until they go to sing dumb row, row, row your boat, the campfire stuff actually kind of works. It's like, you're going to pick that's the song you're going to pick. Really? Really? Okay. Y'all are a bunch of old farts. They're better campfire songs to pick. Like any sure, other campfire sure. song besides row, row, row your effing boat would have been a better pick. I like that but, scene. It's different. But the fact, the fact of the matter is that it does show just how far these guys are willing to go for each other. Especially sure. after, you know, Bones has been taken in by Cybok. And the other two don't go. He's like, Well, I guess you better count me out too. It's you know, just how far these guys are willing to go for each other. Right. And that's something really too that that's really is a gem of the film. I agree. It's it's easily for me, it's the strongest part of that film. Yeah. So yeah
0: yeah yeah Shatner meant well. I mean he just put it that way <laughs> he, he there you go he wanted, he re- I mean there's all these scenes in the movie where each of the crew really do have all their own moments, so he really did did you know try to generously spread out the screen time, unfortunately, the moments that he gives them are really campy.
2: unfortunately, doing is just hitting himself, his, himself in the head a lot yeah it's yeah, it's a shame, it's a shame, yeah, yeah all right, so we come to six. this is actually my favorite film. yeah, yeah, this is it's uh, my favorite as well. yeah, it's mine too. I will say. Yeah. The one downside is that they got Tina Turner to play the Klingon, because if you saw the hair, <laughs> come oh on, gosh. come on, dude, that was like some—that was one of the worst Klingon makeup jobs they've done in the entire series, <laughs> easily. And, and I was just like, I saw him, like, it's, it, are you going to start singing "Rolling on a River" here pretty soon? <laughs> but that, even that, with that aside, the film is amazing.
0: Yeah, yeah, I, I love the tone that it sets with the Randy Edelman score, which is really, really brooding. And the opening, I mean, from the opening scene to the, I think the perfect, perfect close. I mean, for me, this really does feel like a definitive Star Trek movie in terms of its pacing, its story, the dynamics. I mean, everybody knew this in 1991. They certainly know this now. This movie was about Perestroika. It was about America's really uneasy treaties with the Russians that was going on in the late 80s, and that's ob- obviously what's going on between the humans and the Klingons. I love. I mean, forget Savik. I love Kim Cattrall as Valeris. Yeah, <laughs> her mind meld scene with spock i think is just mesmerizing i love that scene um christopher Plummer as chang uh, yes you know as good as christopher lloyd was i love Plummer as the as the as the original as the original is shakespeare in the original klingon spouting klingon i love his performance love what he does um yeah i, I think this this really is a perfect star trek
2: film it is
1: there is one really cheesy scene though where uh you know spock is talking to kirk about the klingons and you know he's 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 having second he's second guessing it because you know they kill the son. what and then they're like spock's like they'll die jim and he's like let them
0: i love that moment yes yeah that's a great moment (laughs) i agree because yeah he's thinking about his son and yeah it's uh it's almost like he's reagan right there talking about the russians it's good stuff it's it's just such a good movie from top to bottom the special effects of the time were oh, really.
1: Oh, the, the yeah. prison! The prison's awesome. <laughs> I love the prison scene. Yeah, yes. that's good
0: stuff. And John uh, John Shuck as, uh, let's see, yeah, John Shuck. Let's see, who is he playing? Uh, you know, I'm trying to think of. I'm trying to think of uh, the actor who plays. Um, Worf plays the. Michael grand- Dorn. Thank you, okay. Michael Dorn is in. It. He plays the grandfather yeah. version of which I think is a really nice touch there. Um, yeah, the action sequence are great. I love all that silliness about
2: Iman as the alien who seduces Kirk. When it's Kirk versus Kirk, I yeah. can't believe I kissed you. It's like it must have been out of your dreams. I'm like, they got. He actually said that line. He, wow. Yeah,
0: it's good stuff. And when he battles himself, I mean, that's like right out of the original series. Oh, I, I love this movie. I really do. It's a, it's a terrific sci-fi action movie. It's a really thoughtful mm-hmm. allegory. It's a great character piece. I mean, for me, it's this is this is basically what I think J.J. Abrams achieved 20 years later. I think
1: it was great cool. great christian slater cameo too yes
2: yes wonderful christian slater cameo perfect he's like yes. shows up hey how's it going like that that's when that was like when you're like okay this is the power of star trek that's right yeah when, just like when yeah. brian singer was a was a, a you know ensign or whatever in nemesis you know it's just like i want to be in star trek
0: yes and tyler perry and jj J. abrams star
2: trek <sighs> yeah Hey, he's good in that. That's his yeah, best performance. Yeah, Who you are you kidding? There you go. There you go. All right. So, so, they, so we think we're done with the Star Trek movies.
0: <laughs> yes. Well, you know, what? Paramount thought they were done because uh, I should have said this before, but, but uh, really quickly, I should point out that after um, after Star Trek Five was a huge disappointment, not to mention a critical and audience uh, disaster paramount was going to rip out their star trek starfleet academy screenplay that was going to happen you know mm-hmm. they were going to do the young the young original crew well before uh abrams ever did it but thankfully uh, undiscovered country was a big monster hit so along came generations um before we talk about it i want to ask both of you guys and i know ethan you're maybe i apologize you might be a little bit too young for me to be asking you this question but i want to ask you both did you guys know what happened to kirk in this movie before you saw the film
2: yes yeah did you ethan Wait,
1: what? Oh, then he dies? Yes. Spoiler?
2: <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> I remember hearing the original ending. Okay. Where, where, where it was Kirk gets shot in the back. Right. And I was like, that's awesome. And then, oh, no, no, but we can't have that.
0: Right, right. I always found it so fascinating that it you know this came out in 1994. This is well before the internet, and yet... The fact that Kirk died in this movie was one of the worst kept secrets in Hollywood. Well, the
2: novelization came out first. The novelization,
0: right? The novelization came out, and I think news must have worked. News must have leaked about the original ending, which was such a disaster. Mm -hmm. Which of course they reshot. It's not in the film uh David Carson, I, th- I think one of the culprits for this movie, and uh i there's a lot of things about this movie I like. But David Carson was the director, and he is a director who directed a lot of Deep Space Nine. He also directed some of the original uh Next Generation episodes, and I think it shows. I think this 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 movie, this is even though a TV movie, I think this I think the special effects are fantastic. I mm-hmm. love Malcolm McDowell in this movie. I love the whole notion of the Nexus and all the scenes of them in the Nexus. I think are fantastic. Um, but yeah, I do think there is a flatness and a kind of a TV movie feel about about this that, that makes it lesser than the other ones.
2: The whole thing about Data be getting his, his emotion chip working and everything was a little TV-ish. I will absolutely grant that, but I still loved it. I loved that, that progression of the
0: character. Did you... I didn't like the introduction of the Next Generation team on the holodeck doing their doing their pirate... I thought that was... Consider- Considering the introduction that the original cast got in the motion picture, and I know like you can't get a scene where each of them beam down once at a time, but I, I just thought it was such an indignant and silly way to introduce the new the new crew. I really I didn't did. have a problem with
2: it. You didn't uh, the
1: pirate ship? Yeah, yeah.
2: the pirate ship. I thought that was so silly.
1: Great scene.
2: <laughs> I thought it was fun, but I mean, if, if we're going to talk about something that's just hokey, the whole thing about about his nephew meeting his ultimate end, and he was a little bit heavy-handed
0: <laughs> yeah that was kind of a heavy scene for a movie that's actually pretty lightweight yeah which uh I, I think i know the answer to this one but which which of kirk's death scenes did you like better the first one or the second one i think the first one was the better yeah yeah i think it was a much more beautiful more but just a better send out than a bunch of old guys running around a mountain beating each other yeah
1: well <laughs> you guys know the joke right where it's always like captain on the bridge bridge on the captain
2: <laughs> wow nice Wow, <laughs> <laughs> I like that. I how have I not heard that? That's outstanding. It's a good movie. I thought I, I was happy with it when it came out. Yeah, um, it's not my favorite next gen movie by a long shot. It's fun. I don't think it's
0: bad. I really don't. Um, I, I just think it's one of the. I don't want to even say the lesser film. I just don't think it's as good as. Frankly, I just don't think it's as good as uh, Undiscovered Country. But. but I mean, this
2: was the movie that really brought. You know, th- this was the Star Trek film that really brought the whole buying a movie as soon as you can. To light in the home in the home video market because you had people paying the hundred some odd dollars to get a VHS copy of this movie, right? Which had just never happened before. People were like it costs that much. I'll just go run in a blockbuster or warehouse yeah. or wherever the heck it was because it's Star Trek and it had been the first Star Trek movie in however long it had been. Yeah, it was. We I have to own this movie. And I'm like, who would pay that kind of money? And now it's you know. Yeah, it was a, you know you're right, Dave. It was a really I
0: mean it really remember, presented the consumer too. demand. It was it was a, such an event film. And I, do you remember that Taco Bell actually did commercials for this movie? They would yeah. always cut to Kirk going, "Let's go!" from the from the first scene of the movie. Yeah, I mean
2: this was this was such this was one of the biggest event movies when it came out. Absolutely. Oh, I camped out like three hours before it came. You know the the, the, the this was when I would go to midnight showings on Friday night. Like after uh, hang out with my friends on Friday, we'd go Friday night, not Thursday night, because yeah. that hadn't happened yet. But, like, the line was out the mall. It was up at Chapel Hills. And, you know, you everyone's like, oh, why did we get here so early? Because we were, like, the third people in line. And then, like, a half hour later, it was, holy crap. Yeah, I'm glad we got here.
0: Same here for me. I saw it at the Maui Theater, and I was in a long, long line that, that, that kind of centipeded all around the theater. Mm-hmm.
2: Yep. <laughs> it sounds so old. <laughs> <laughs> yep, good stuff, good times. Yes, indeed, yes.
0: All right, well, Generations was uh, certainly successful and successful enough to merit another Star Trek film, and Paramount certainly wanted to expand on their their uh, tentpole, not only in terms of having the next generation, but including the next generation world in, in the new film. So you had director Jonathan Frakes, Mister mm-hmm. Commander Riker himself, uh, directing Star Trek First Contact and introducing Alice Crege. Um, the wonderful actress who was in uh, Ghost Story, amongst other films, uh, playing the Borg Queen, which is by far my favorite thing about this movie. This is a very, I think, a very strong
2: film. And it's, I love... a, it's a Star Trek zombie movie.
0: Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see that.
2: But that, for me, this
0: was like another. This was like another Voyage Home. Like it, it just kind of really opened up uh, popularity of this. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly, all the stuff with with James Cromwell really yes. helped a lot. <laughs> I
2: think it's easily the best of the Next Generation movies. I don't yes. think it's even close. I agree.
1: Uh, yeah, it was my introduction to star trek i I'd, I'd oh, seen cool. this movie a lot of times as a kid right on and I, I haven't seen it since actually. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it holds up amazingly well,
0: yeah, that opening shot, I think is so disturbing and so striking the yes. the long pullback shot I mean, it's
2: just it is just a great way to open any film mm-hmm. absolutely yeah, it's I love them and and it's where Park Picard becomes a genuinely unlikable character, I think just yeah. because of you know he's like, you know what I'm if you, if we see someone, what do we do? Just kill him. You're doing him a favor. <laughs> like, holy crap, dude. Yeah, and uh, the whole thing of, of, of uh, data
0: being assimilated, I thought was really striking. The whole resistance is futile from, from coming from him. I thought was really really striking as well. And um, yeah, this is a really it's it's an exciting film. It's really well directed. It gives um, everyone
2: something to do in a good way. Mm, I think. Yeah, as
0: opposed to you know an upcoming
2: movie. <laughs>
0: yes, it's a very, yeah, truly, first contact was very strong. And 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 last thing I'll say is I found the scenes between the Borg Queen and Data um, disturbingly erotic.
2: Yeah. Yeah, very much so. Yeah, because yeah. it's kind of her taking his innocence in a lot of ways. Oh,
0: yes, yes, I would put it that way, absolutely, yeah. and I'm sure that's how I meant it, too. So Absolutely,
1: yes. All right, well, well, first contact. Uh, I have to mention that, sorry. Go ahead. I have yeah. to mention I'm a huge fan of the uh, Star Trek uh, Borg first-person shooter
2: oh yeah.
1: that that was at uh it was at the chalet that i i'm in middle school at my school I always went to a ski trip in minnesota and it was that game was at the chalet and whenever you weren't skiing we'd always play it
0: that's nice. awesome we have a penny arcade over here and they actually have that star trek Borg first shooter game here in, in uh, manitou springs so yeah
2: cool, cool i haven't played that in a while now i'm gonna have to i'm gonna have to this summer
0: oh it's fun it's fun it still holds up right on well, First Contact, uh, you know, sorry to get so monetary about this, but First Contact did make over $90 million. It was one of the biggest hits of 1996 and certainly one of the most acclaimed and, you know, another film that really just kind of not only brought a shot in the arm to Star Trek, um, but a movie that really brought popularity to the Next Generation crew, which and, really...
2: And I think Fricks did a great job directing it.
0: I agree. I think he did a solid, solid job. This is a very ambitious movie, and there's a lot of really striking, striking cinematography.
2: You can tell like, he kind of, he kind of, you, know, you know, broke in a little bit doing the TV show some, and then he just kind of went flying with it after. With, with this film.
0: Yeah, it's a, it's a really compelling and also really exciting action movie. Absolutely. Sorry, okay. No, 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 that's okay. No, it, it's good that we, we talked about First Contact because now we're going to go for his next film, uh, the movie that he directed in 1998, Star Trek Insurrection.
2: Um, this was them trying to recreate the, the Star Trek Four magic, I think, in yes. a lot of ways.
0: Yes, uh, I, I agree with that. Um, I think the first mistake they made was uh, F. Murray Abraham as the main villain. No, no, his makeup is horrible. Yeah, his makeup is dreadful, and I I think it gets in the way of his performance. I really do. He's, he could be a wonderful actor. I don't think this is really his movie. Um, I like Donna Murphy as the love interest they introduce for uh,
2: Picard. I thought she was quite good. Everyone's horny in this movie.
0: Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, it's kind of like Porky's
2: in space. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's why I call it Star Trek Erection. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, now, I'm not crazy about this one. <laughs> this was the movie that made me realize that really Star Trek 5 wasn't all that bad. <laughs> Thank you.
0: Um I, I think the Fountain of Youth Angle is really fascinating, as well as the 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 moments where the characters become become invisible. I think there's some cool stuff in this movie, but I don't think it adds up to a really good
2: movie. No, not at all. No. <laughs> no. Like seriously, the next gen movies really establish the low bar for the Star Trek series, I think.
0: Let's see. There's there's a scene where Worf gets a pimple, right? Let's yes, because he, he goes
2: through puberty again.
0: And doesn't, doesn't I think it all
2: starts off the the, the downward spiral. Is, spiral is the first scene where they're singing the 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 song from what I have a shades moder- of row 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 your boat. No, no, yeah, it was absolutely. It, it was just it hurts so bad. You know, i in the model of them. Modern Major General. That's right. That's right. I forgot about I that. I was just like that. That's how you're gonna reboot data.
0: And, and it's been. Uh, it's actually been about three years since I've seen this. I saw it uh, for the ten year anniversary in two thousand eight. But um, isn't there, if I remember correctly, isn't there a scene where after Picard, see the Picard or or Riker, after they become you know you you, you know youthful again, where they walk into a room, they start to dance like some disco
2: music. I'm sure there was. I seem was. to remember that moment. I remember but... Troy and Crusher talking about how their boobs were getting perky again, and yes, I do I was remember just that like, moment. Yeah, really? Yeah, that's where that's right. I'm going sure
0: Will this. Wheaton really regretted that he couldn't be in
2: this film. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I think this is one of the silliest, and it's probably just because of the things we've talked about. It's. Uh, it's just the the humor is a little heavy handed in this one, just a little. And unlike unlike the final fan of uh, Frontier, which I think arguably kind of balances a lot of that with a really ambitious story, I felt like the story was very standard Star Trek original series.
2: I, I think the humor came more organically to Star Trek Six when there was yeah. humor, like the whole thing about them, you know, never ser- serving Romulan ale right. on a ship again. Yeah, you know, there's, yeah, there was stuff that it was situational humor that worked. In the context character of the film. humor, yeah. yeah, yeah. Whereas this was just really trying to shoehorn it in. Yes. Uh, yeah, I mean, I really appreciate Frakes as, as a director and a lot of work he's done since then and before sure. then. Yep. And I don't say that because he's coming to Starfest this year, <laughs> but it's just I really Doesn't appreciate hurt. the guy's work. I agree. No, I, even even with,
0: with the film he did, Clockstoppers I thought he did a fine job with that film. But no, I, I, it's not that Insurrection is badly directed. I think it's simply no. the screenplay. Just, yeah, just makes a Ooh. lot of mistakes, and I think it's trying to trying to catch people's attention after you know this this series obviously peaked with with First Contact in mm-hmm. terms of the next generation, and this one just can't live up to it. it though it tries, it really rise
2: yeah yeah and then let's uh, let's
0: move on to uh, celebrate the 10-year anniversary
2: now Star Trek Nemesis the movie that almost single-handedly killed a franchise
0: and, well and it did for a while yeah D- you know seven years is a long time for a franchise to vanish but yeah this was directed by Stuart Baird uh, Stuart Baird is one who never event-
2: watched a Star Trek episode in his life <laughs> oh man here come the <laughs> insults uh,
0: nemesis the, let me say about Stuart Baird he was uh, critically acclaimed as a director uh, not only a second unit director but also an editor of a lot of great action movies and he eventually directed executive decision and U.S. Marshals, not classics, but I think two solid action yeah, movies. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think where Nemesis succeeds is as an action movie. I think the action sequences, particularly the opening stuff, um, I thought you know all the all the land stuff is really exciting, really well done. Um, one of my big problem with the film, frankly, and it has nothing to do with Tom Hardy's performance, which is good. Um, I think the character was a mistake, um, and I certainly think. <laughs> you think? Well, I think the character was a mistake, and also having a character who's apparently a, a clone of Picard, a Ramiel clone of Picard, who's really nothing like Picard in a really striking or interesting way, uh, was was a misstep.
1: Well, the weird thing is that Patrick Stewart has looked exactly the same his entire life. <laughs> so why didn't they just get Patrick Stewart to play that role as well?
2: That's a great question. Absolutely, yeah.
0: Yeah,
2: if that's the only question you've got for this movie,
0: <laughs> well, I mean, no, I think that, that that would have. I I agree with you, Ethan. I think that really would have helped that aspect of the film. Um, I think when you have an actor as interesting, I mean, we didn't know this at the time, but I think if you have an actor as interesting as Tom Hardy, they could have done a lot more of that character instead of doing being just the typical, you know, grapple mano a mano battle at the end of the film, which we'd seen so many times before. Oh yeah. Um, I I I think the the end scene where Picard is fixing Data was such a
2: terrible way to end the legacy of The Next Generation as a series and as a film. But it worked so well because the rest of the movie was just brought the thing to a screeching halt, so why not just bring that movie to a screeching halt as well?
0: It was so underwhelming. and I, What a waste. You've got Whoopi Goldberg and Will Wheaton
2: in this movie. <laughs> Will Wheaton's in it for like a third of a second. What a waste. They I have. They should have used
0: these two. How great would it have been to have Whoopi Goldberg and Will Wheaton back instead well, of using heard, like
2: these quick little eye-blink cameos? You've heard his story about that, right? I have not. He essentially went up to the director and he said, okay, I have to ask you a question? Because I'm going to get asked this a lot. What the heck am I doing here? Because <laughs> I mean, he went off to be with the boy, toucher traveler, and you know, explore the universe and become this higher state of human being. And suddenly, hey, how's it going? I'm back in Starfleet. You know. And the, the director really didn't have a good explanation for it. Mm. So that I was gonna kind of, say, did yeah.
1: him, did Ron Perlman and Tom Hardy like? I feel like they kind of had like a gay thing going on the entire movie." Hmm. Anyone else feel that? Like, did that scene where, like... Of course, Ron Perlman plays the alien guy, and he, like, puts his hand on Tom Hardy's chest. I'm like, that's an interesting relationship.
0: <laughs> I hadn't thought of it before, but now that you mention it, you're probably on to something.
1: But it, that... that- Great, what? great sex scene too when he's like doing the mind melt thing and like Counselor Troy like sees Tom Hardy at first. She's like, no, but then it's Ron Perlman and it gets even worse.
0: <laughs> that was a strange, yeah. That's that's their honeymoon scene, right? With yeah. with uh, with yeah, yeah. That's a that's a that's a particularly disturbing scene. Yeah, yeah.
2: Once again, Star Trek Five wasn't that bad. Thank you. <laughs> Yeah, there's some interesting stuff
0: in this movie, but yeah, it, just, it really does not come together. I remember being tremendously
2: disappointed when I first saw this film. Um, well, I think I think the story that Wheaton re- relayed kind of applies to the entire movie. They really didn't think a heck of a lot out for this movie. Yeah. Yeah, it felt like they needed to... The lighting I mean, was less than flattering, we'll just say. Yes, yes.
0: And you remember the tagline. It was the final voyage. Uh, you know, the final... Vo- and so, I mean, like they were making a clip. This was probably most likely going to be the final... You know, final movie for the Next Generation crew,
2: but what a. I'm sure they wanted to, you know, leave their audience to ask him for more, but most people I knew walked out saying, Good riddance. Because yeah. if this is where it's going. Mm-mm. Yeah, they, they clearly peaked two movies ago. Yeah.
0: Yeah. The, la- the, the last thing I want to bring up as an anecdote was I saw this film with uh, my then girlfriend, Julia, and her father, Craig, who's one of the biggest Star Trek nerds on the planet. Mm-hmm. And not only did he love this movie because, you know, it's kind of the whole thing of like, well, if it's Star Trek, it can't be bad. Um, we saw the film. <laughs> in this theater at the Chapel Mall Chapel Hill Theater and you know a lot of kids there you know cuz Star Trek in fact it was a sold out packed open night screening and there's a scene in the film where uh Commander Riker played by Jonathan Frakes and one of the Romulans are having a tussle and they're battling and they're on this big tower and the good guy gets the upper hand and beats the Romulan that falls to his death ah and my father getting so father-in-law getting so excited and caught up in the moment yells out as loud as he can so long mother th-! In the theater, in the theater, <laughs> and I'm like, "Dad, Dad, it's PG thirteen. There's kids here." He's like, "Oh, oh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm sorry."
2: <laughs> nice, okay, then that that's and that's all I have to say for Star Trek Nemesis. You you have a better memory of it than I do. Clearly, what can I say? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So then we went. How long without another Star Trek movie? Seven
0: years, which is a long time for any franchise to take a break. I mean, that's almost like James Bond uh, nineteen eighty nine License to Kill, all the way to Goldeneye in into uh, in, in nineteen ninety five. Um, yeah, it's a long time for for a franchise to take a nap like that because you just assume it's gone. Yeah. Um, but yeah, lo and behold, JJ uh, Abrams of all people, which I I certainly I can't say I was crazy about the announcement at first. I'll be honest. Okay. Um, because I think maybe just because um, I'm married to someone who loves Felicity so much, and I've seen his name at the end of every episode of Felicity so much that I've for years I thought of JJ J. J. Abrams as the guy who created Felicity. Okay, so you hadn't watched Alias. Uh, yes, and I thought
2: Alias was quite good, actually. I did until it started just going off the rails, like in the fourth season. Or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I agree.
0: That fourth, yeah, that was, yeah, the, it did, it did go in some really silly directions. But no, I, I actually liked Alias, um, and I, for that matter, I really loved Regarding Henry, which he also wrote. Um, but I, I, just, it didn't seem like a like the perfect choice to me. And I thought that Mission Impossible Three was very good, but I wasn't one of those people who was over the moon crazy about it. So I just, it just didn't feel like, the, like a. Like a perfect fit to me boy how wrong I was well and
2: and you got the whole challenge of rebooting something that has this much history and really is embedded and engrossed in the American psyche pop culture wise
0: yes and and for me like this was so much like okay Paramount is going back to that Starfleet Academy screenplay I heard mm-hmm. about 20 years ago I mean for me like okay this is this is clearly what they're doing they're gonna go the young sexier Star Trek that I kept hearing about for years being threatened so for me this this almost felt like okay this is like a last a last try. At, at well, because
2: Enterprise these. sure wasn't bringing it in. No, it was not. <laughs>
0: no. Although they certainly tried with the sex appeal with that pilot episode of theirs. My <laughs> gosh,
2: that was just the, the, the gel they have to spread all over each other. Even oh, for yeah.
0: UPN, which is the channel that gave us Shasta McNasty. I gotta say that 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 and, pilot. And
2: don't forget Brother from Another Planet. Yes, and this. No, su- no, no, no. Wasn't
0: what was it? Homeboys Home from, from Space. Homeboys from Space. And I think I think even the secret diaries of Desmond Pfeiffer, the one about Abraham Lincoln's black slave friend, was uh, that sitcom was also on UPN. What the heck is with UPN? Anyway.
2: So, it, it, it was melted into the CW. So yeah. yeah,
0: exactly. Yeah. So clearly what we're trying to say is Star Trek was in a lot of trouble at this point. Um, what gave me hope was certainly that they decided to somehow bring Spock back in, which I thought was very intriguing considering they killed him once before. Um, so I thought bringing
2: Nimoy back was interesting. And casting uh, uh, Zachary Quinto in, at the height of his of being a villain in heroes when heroes right. didn't completely suck yet yeah I think was it was a, was a definite you yeah, it, it brought confidence
0: to yes me. and so to bringing an unknown to play Kirk I thought that was a good idea because how mm-hmm. the heck can you cast that but it's like an un, unplayable role but role but at the
2: thing. same time you had a big question of what, Carl Urban playing bones you're talking about Eomir, the dude who didn't say anything in Lord of the Rings really just like pretty and blonde really right and John Cho as I mean it was very.
0: On one hand, like you could see it, but then when, when you saw the announcement, it was like, this is a very strange cast. And yeah. then a Ryder, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> I'm like, what is she going to do? Yeah.
1: I remember for a while it was rumored that Matt Damon was going to be Kirk.
0: I remember hearing that too, yeah, for a long time. Yes. Yeah, I don't know how,
2: how close the truth that ever became, but... Uh, but if Matt Damon became became Kirk, I think the film... I, it wouldn't have been as good a film, I don't think.
0: Well, I think it would have been too much of a star vehicle. Mm-hmm. This way, it really is an ensemble piece. I love... uh Scotty.
2: Yeah, brings bring some good humor to it without being the butt of the joke
0: yeah he's terrific and uh, for some reason the actress who's Zoe Colombiana, Saldana thank you Zoe I think she's terrific yes yeah and uh,
2: the relationship between her and Spock I think is really moving I mean I really it's an interesting it's just, take everyone just went what yeah and then they're like then they moved on because they bought into it. it that was really yeah
0: yeah the, and uh, oh, for pizza, like again Yelchin is wonderful he's Chekhov I mean I, I really think everything works in this movie I really do when,
2: <laughs> when he tried to say Victor Victor Victor, yeah. no, Victor. Yeah. The indeed,
1: best is when he's like running down the hall and he's like, I can do that, I can do that, run! Yeah, yeah. That's
0: good shit. <laughs> and I liked Eric Bonas, the villain. I thought he
2: was just. It was one, the one of the weaker villains, though. I, mind. By far. I thought he was pretty good. I thought he was interesting. It worked as as a reason to do the reboot. It was about revenge, you know. He was yeah. all about revenge. I what thought, I, appreci- I thought it worked. what I really appreciated, was the fact that they they didn't say, you know, screw that old Star Trek crap. This is new stuff. It's we're gonna make this work so that everything you love t- suddenly didn't happen as far as everyone's concerned. <laughs> Yeah, it worked for the fans. It worked for people who never liked or never saw Star Trek in their life. Because I I, I, I'm I, sure we're going to get get some words from, from Christopher over at Johnja.net because he, he is not a fan of this film. Well, okay, thank you. And let's talk about that. Because as much as I will defend this movie,
0: I think it's one of the best films of its year, um, a lot of people said they felt more like Star Wars than Star Trek. Mm-hmm.
1: Well, remember that Onion video they had where it's like, Star Trek fans criticize new film as fun and exciting? <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> I
2: That was, that, that yeah.
1: <laughs>
0: And that's a good point. I mean, this series is, uh, you know, it's notorious for actors in, you know, ill-fitting suits standing around talking about what the logical thing to do Especially be. in the movies. But the
2: TV series was pretty action-packed, too. The original it series. It could be. I think a lot of it was mostly limited by its budget. It could only do so much. I think sure. it, we would have seen more, I guess, for lack of a better term, swashbuckling type action.
0: Yeah. And there is there is that in this movie. I mean, this, there's a lot of, there's so much action in this film. And I think I found it really thrilling, the way it was filmed and paced and...
2: Uh, no, I don't think. Th- and Carl I, Urban turned into my favorite part of the thing about that movie. Yeah, Carl Urban is
0: excellent. I really thought the the chemistry between Quinto and and, uh, and Chris Bond. Pine was excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And, and the scene where he has to like get get a real emotional reaction out of Spock, I thought was wonderful. There's, there's so many things about this movie. I love uh, even the scene where Leonard Nimoy and uh, and and Quintos share the screen together. I thought was great.
2: Yeah, you know, I understand. I guess I can understand. On one hand, that it's not quite as politically intrigued and, and nuanced as some of the other films are but they had to rec- they essentially had to create a whole new universe in an, in 2 hours it might be too soon
0: to look at the film and and it's kind of because I've heard some people say, like, well, you know, the Eric Bonnet character is almost like Al Qaeda. Like I've heard those kind of comparisons. I just thought it was
2: kind of a weak ca- villain in general.
0: I think there's subtext there, but I think it might be even a little too soon to even assess exactly what it is. Um or even to make that kind of thing. And bottom line, I don't think the movie needs it, because this is all about character.
2: There is isn't. there isn't. I mean, there are some things that just don't make sense. Like, where did Nero get the freaking ship from? That's nothing oh, the that okay. audience ever had. Okay. Well, no, 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 I, okay. you have to though. If you're going to be a Star Trek nerd, I think this is a valid thing. You shouldn't have to read a comic book to figure out where you are before the movie even starts do you
0: think the time travel angle worked though? because i thought it worked just in a in a very plain way but i mean of course there's all sorts of loopholes in a concept that doesn't really exist i suppose i mean i think you know it's kind of like the flux capacitor you know like there's all yeah. sorts of problems there but i mean i think for that movie it worked and like for this movie i thought the whole way that spock is introduced was really intriguing i thought it worked maybe perhaps as long as you don't think about it too much I, and i well, think I, that's fair
1: the the, the the guys what are they called again or and kurtzman yeah they're, those guys are like total ding dongs, but so I like I wouldn't go to any script by them for like logic. I think that's kind of the biggest issue with the movie. But I, I think why it succeeds is because of the direction and the casting and the special effects. And
0: Do you think they're ding dongs for this movie or for the other films they did?
1: Mostly the other movies they've okay. done.
0: Thanks. That's that's yeah. That's what
2: I thought you meant. I but you can see this a
1: bit of the ding dongness in this too. Not as prevalent, but a bit of it.
2: Fair enough. It's a fun movie, and I, I love the film. I really do. Would you compare it to Star Trek IV? In terms of balancing humor and audience
0: accessibility and also what the fans want I think and what so. they didn't get?
2: Yeah, because a lot of people aren't going to care that the that, that Nero somehow got a hold of Borg technology to outfit his little freighters and Uber battleship hmm. and that Jordi and Data helped build the ship that Spock went back in, You know, all that stuff. Oh, wait,
1: that reminds me of something I forgot to mention about the uh, Nemesis Jordi without his visor. No, don't even try.
2: It worked in, in First Contact, I thought.
1: Uh, just say, look, he looks weird.
0: Yeah, it was strange. I like the moment in Insurrection where you can see. I thought that was a really moving moment. I think it's one of the few moments in that movie that works. But yeah, I agree. It's uh, LeVar Burton's <laughs> got really nice eyes, as evidenced by reading Rainbow, and I think uh, it's a disservice taking off <laughs> that visor.
2: All right, then. Okay. I, I, are, are we good talking about Star Trek? What do we want for the sequel? Not Khan. Con. Because here's the thing that no one seems to understand is that you have to set up the character of Khan first. The only reason why he worked in Star Trek II is because there's a background and these films do have a handicap going in and that there is no established universe except what we already know. Yes, we've got Benedict Cumberbatch coming in and I honestly hope it's a variation on Harry Mudd because he's a he's a person you could throw in at any point and make him like the Joker if you wanted to, just like this maniacal humor character as opposed to you know, oh, he's just, you know, harmless and funny and you know, sure he might hurt and blow up a planet, but it wasn't on purpose, you know. I just I don't want to see them retread the same ground over and over. They did. They've made such a departure, and okay. made such a pointed departure from the original. Sorry. Go ahead, Ethan.
1: Speak, speaking of that, uh, it reminds me in the some of the metro stations they have these little TVs where they like show entertainment news, and they said it's like Benedict Cumberbatch plays Star Trek villain. They showed a picture of the uh, the like lizard thing that Kirk fights in the arena. That made me laugh.
0: That's awesome. Well um I don't want a sequel. I'm just going to say it. I really think You think
2: this is a good spot to stop? Stop
0: it. Yes, cuz uh I I am afraid it's going to be like Iron Man 2. Because okay. I think Iron Man 2 at best war is, is watchable. To be fair, if it was Iron
2: Man 2, it would have already come out like a year and a half ago. It's true. And I I like well, that they've...
1: they don't have to set up the Avengers.
2: <laughs> <laughs> this is true. There is that. I just I, I hate how everything gets sequelized. I
0: think Star Trek, just that film, I thought was just a perfect summer attraction, or, and, I, and I really do think it is a great Star Trek film. I wish they would just stop. Either do something completely different, do Star Trek Enterprise, the movie, and actually make it work. Um, but Good no, I, I wish they would just just leave that movie alone. I think the two thousand nine movie is perfect for what it is. It doesn't need a sequel. I really don't.
2: Okay. All right. Well, curious to see what what, what our listeners think of it as well. We shall see how that all goes over. Uh, If you want to, yeah, I I really want to hear what people think. And Christopher, by all means, give us a call because, you know, I need to look up what our Google number is while you're doing the uh, releases because I forgot what it was. So why don't you talk about what's hitting theaters this week, and I will go from there. All right. Let's see.
0: Let me find my list here. And where are you?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Do do you want to borrow my tablet? Here it is. Sorry, sorry. I
0: wrote it in really bad, illegible writing. But here it is. Uh, Opening on Friday Big Miracle, the Save the Whales movie. Literally, the Save the Whales movie with Drew Barrymore and John Krasinski. Yeah. The much hyped little Scene chronicle, which uh, the early word has been quite favorable, has it? Because
2: the trailer looked it looked interesting at least.
0: I think so. Yeah, it
2: offers a new spin on, it. and apparently the yeah, the early
0: word from test screenings have been very very favorable. So we'll see how that works. And then also Daniel Radcliffe and the Woman in Black. This is the new film from Hammer. Very yeah. exciting. Yeah. Are Are
2: you excited to see that?
0: Yes. Okay. I am because uh, I've you know having gone with you to the Mile High Horror Fest where they play that trailer in front of <nauseum>. every <laughs> every movie uh, I got to say I'm very intrigued by the atmosphere of it which I think it looks pretty What do you think
2: unique. of the tra- of the uh, in theater trailers? Have you seen those like where it's like they have like a camera moving around the theater? Oh. And then suddenly like she's sitting behind someone and oh it's scary. Those are so cheesy. I've seen
0: I've seen those done for movies that aren't even remotely scary too. So I I don't think I trust those trailers. (laughs) Oh no, not at all. And then in, in limited release from the director of The House of the Devil, Ty West the innkeeper starring sarah paxton and killa mcgillis from top gun
2: yeah unless you just want to watch it now and you can watch it on demand on amazon or wherever else oh i want to
0: see it no i will see it in the theater He'd, mr west will get my money from from the yeah boxes.
2: We, i might have to hitch you right up with you for that okay one. yeah let's do it let's do yeah, it yeah, we'll see we'll see all right and then coming to home video this next week well as dave <laughs> laughed as he gave me this title the twilight
0: saga it's a saga now the twilight yes. saga breaking dawn part one for what it's worth Best one in the series. Hands down, they, are finally, they finally made a decent movie. Not a great movie, but a decent movie, so... Take that for whatever it's worth. Lady and the Tramp, one of the great
2: Disney movies. You know why I love this movie? The Siamese cats. Mm-hmm. Love those Siamese. cats. Even if it's like as, as so English and thank you, please. Like as it gets, it, they're still charming.
0: But they're villainous. They're villainous. Yes. They're villainous Siamese cats. I love them. Love them. Uh, A very Harold and Kumar Christmas, which I've been told by numerous people was last year's best 3D movie. Okay. So I haven't seen it. I didn't get the chance to catch it, but. That's whatever. There you um, go. A movie that rightfully earns the earns the title Anonymous. I think this is a movie <laughs> like four people saw and no one liked. This is uh, let's see. This is Reese Eifens as William Shakespeare and the theory that Shakespeare was a complete sham and created by multiple multiple other authors. From the director of 2012. Wow. So
2: there you go. Right. Wow.
0: Yeah. And uh, then you got Project Nim, the critically acclaimed documentary with uh, the disturbing, uh, <laughs> very very disturbing. Revelation that uh, baby chimps can be breastfed breastfed by humans. <laughs> I got to say that has stayed with me more than anything else from that movie. Although I liked Project Nim, I think more than some of the than I people. did. Yes, yeah, certainly. Um, Stanley Kramer's great. It's a Mad 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 World, starring everyone everyone from Charles Chaplin to the Three Stooges, Jonathan. Uh, Winters. Thank you, Jonathan. Winters, Milton Burl. I mean, this is an amazing cast. It can't see. I'm not gonna, I, I can't say that it's like the greatest comedy ever, no. which I think was definitely the idea. No, no, no. It, it's a movie of moments, but man, alive, it's worth seeing for those moments. Also on Blu-ray, the original Casino Royale, which. Uh, despite what what my mentor over at uccs has to say, I really do think this is one of the worst films of its decade. Okay. Um, just a complete, complete disaster. This is the this is not the Daniel Craig movie. This is a 1967 film directed by four directors, including uh, including John houston This is a meant to be a James Bond spoof. It's also an amalgam of everything that was mod, mod, mod in the 60s. I can't stand this movie. I really can't. It's got everybody from Woody Allen to Peter Sellers playing different James Bonds, and even Peter O'Toole ends up in one scene. Um, terrible film, but you know, as a curiosity, well, it's not boring. I'll if give you're a end. completionist, there you go. Uh, Stephen Freer's *Dangerous Liaisons*—wonderful film with Glenn Close, Michelle Pfeiffer, and John Malkovich—and a very young Keanu Reeves. I like *Dangerous <laughs> Liaisons*; it's a good story and much better than *Cruel Intentions* for what it's worth. Criterion, you've got the double feature of *La Jetée*, the brilliant, extraordinary, extraordinary film that's basically made out of pictures. Obviously, every every sci-fi fan knows this. This was the the uh, basis of *12 Monkeys*. The uh, DVD excuse me, D V D slash Blu-ray coming out is also a double feature with San Soleil, which I have not seen. And then finally, Father <laughs>
2: Dowling Mystery Season One. This is a throwback for the 30 plus set. Tom Father Dowling Mystery Season One. This is Tom Bosley, right? Yeah, Tom Bosley. Bosley, sorry. Yeah, yeah Bosley. Yeah, yeah, Mr. Cunningham.
0: I always think of him as the glad uh glad- the glad bag guy, yeah.
2: Not happy days. You don't go to happy days, you go to glad bags.
0: I do, because um, I liked Happy Days for the funs and Richie Cunningham. I didn't. I don't really remember the, the parents. So I know Marion Ross was the mom too. But no, I, I I love that show for the teens. I I think I kind of turned the channel when the adults were the focus.
2: Oh, but there he had one of the best scenes, which was the one where, where Richie got just hammered off his butt, drunk, and he comes home and like he's having the father son moment, and and there's just this scene where where he's like, I just dad, I just want to go to bed so I can feel better tomorrow. And and the look on Bosley's face is like the ultimate boy, you got another thing coming, but good luck to you.
0: <laughs> nice. Yeah. Do you remember Million Dollar Mystery? No. This is this is a mildly interesting anecdote. In nineteen eighty seven, there's this movie called Million Dollar Mystery came out, and the whole thing is this it, it was a ripoff of if it's a mad, 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 mad world. It was a bunch of like really bad 80s comedians running around searching for this million dollars that's somewhere in the world and they kept losing the money. And the thing is, it ends very much like um, like Seven Years in Utopia, where it's like, how will this movie end? You decide. And if you know where the money is, you win a million dollars. So the movie was a sweepstakes in addition to being just a movie. And Tom Bosley is the guy. And sure enough, the money is in this glad this glad bag. Glad actually promoted the film. Wow. The the million dollars is in this glad garbage bag. And and uh, yeah, so after the movie was over, people had to go home and like right into where they think the million dollars was. And apparently this one young girl I remember watching on A Current Affair, this young girl won. She didn't seem all that happy because she had to
2: sit through this terrible movie. But anyway, yeah, Tom (laughs) Bosley was the star of that film. Wow. So there you go. There you go. There you go. All right. So that's all that stuff. If you want to leave us a voicemail, hey, I found the number. Give us a call at 719-695-0706. If you want to shoot us an email, by all means do. Shoot us an email to podcastethanberry or Dave, all at ScreenGeeks.com. I have no idea what we're talking about next week, but I'm sure it'll be fun. We'll try to keep it back down to an hour, but you're talking about Star Trek movies. You can't cram that into an hour. You really can't. It's just too much to cover. Uh, but it's all good. We're going to have fun next week, and hey, this one's going to be up pretty soon, so yeah. It's all good. Until then, this is Dave. This is Commander
0: Chang. This is Gerald. Gerald. Oh, nice. Take it easy.